We're uh, going to get started here again um, pretty soon, pretty quickly, because time is flying. We'll uh, start with a word of prayer, and then I'll introduce our speaker. Loving Father in heaven, thank you that you've blessed us in the time that we've been here, and thank you especially for the fellowship and just meeting with people who are down to earth and, um, and that are excited about your plan and uh, excited about your plan for eternity. Father, we pray that you'll bless um, the presentations this afternoon and um, pray that you will strengthen every program that is associated with a school or an institution to, be, to become everything that um, you planned for it to be and, and for the light um, to shine in the communities and uh, for people to be drawn to your perfect plan and your plan for eternity. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, um, our speaker now is, um, I'm trying to read your last name, Arthur, uh, sorry, Molianos, thank you. Uh, he's from Andrews University, and uh, they have a really exciting program going there with their uh, organic garden, and so um, I will just invite him up to uh, share with us. Thank you. Good afternoon. Um, my name is Arthur Moliono. I'm, I manage the student gardens at Andrews, and I've brought with me uh, Stephen Eric, uh, who, coordinated, who coordinated the mobile farm market um, this season. It's something new, and he'll be explaining that a little bit more in about like 12 minutes or so, or 12, 15, a few minutes. So, all right. Um, so, I, I personally don't like to present because. Uh, I, I'm not a person who usually speaks in front. I usually have like a student who speaks for me, and but it's it's good experience for me to have to be able to talk to uh, everybody. So um, let's just get started. So the history at Andrews University in 1901, Battle Creek College moving uh, via train boxcars to the 272-acre Garland farm near Bering Springs, purchased for uh, $18,000 to give students a more hands-on education and allow them to grow um, some of the food that they consume. Uh, Garland farm consisted of orchards, vegetable, and small fruit gardens. The faculty and staff work alongside the students in the gardens and orchards. The campus cafeteria preserved the produce for meals during the school year. I have some pictures. Uh, this here is uh, raspberries. As you can tell, the guy, the, the, the raspberry plants were taller than the guy. Um, here's another picture of raspberries. Uh, I think the archive, it says between 1901 to 1980. So, no. And I'm only showing like 10 pictures. There's about like uh, another file that I have of pictures, but we won't have time for that. Uh, here's the potatoes. They're harvesting potatoes. And it seems like there's students and faculty working together. Uh, this here is a box or crates of tomatoes that they would send to Chicago. 
Here are cut flowers. They grew eggs. These are, this is a picture of the garden and orchards at, by 1930s, view of the campus, another view of the campus. And as you can tell, it's strictly agriculture. There's lots of greenhouses on right, this right here. So that's the history of what happened today. Uh, the dairy grew from about, and from the 1970s, they grew from 252 or 250 to 1,200 cows. Um, farm about 750 acres of corn. Uh, the university has a vineyard, has 86 acres of Concord and Niagara grapes. We sell the grapes to Welsh's. Um, and the agriculture student scholarship, somebody owns the vineyard and all the, all the profits goes to student scholarship. So uh, any, specifically in agriculture, so the students who would work at the gardens would receive financial assistance and by working there. Programs and degrees offered, it's, you can get an agriculture, agribusiness, animal science, horticulture, international agri agriculture development, landscape design, and pre-veterinary. This is our list of faculty. Garth Woodruff teaches landscape. Jerry Harris is our, our new professor. Um, he came from Daystar Academy. Uh, Kathy Cadell does deal animal science, Dale Burney, and Clive Holland is the interim um, chair. So the student gardens. So the, th the student gardens consists of, it's a, about 30 acres, 25 acres. It's transitional certified. Uh, the five acres that is not being, um, that's not transition, transitioning is the, the apples and the peaches. We have seven acres of vegetable gardens, 4,000 trees of high density orchard uh, in, in four acres, 1,500 trees of peach orchard, 2,500 feet of raspberries, 1,500 feet of blackberries, and two heated greenhouse and two coal frames. So the goals of the student garden is to train students in sustainable, hands-on agriculture practice to provide physical and spiritual needs for a growing world. Uh, establish community relationships by providing fresh produce and enabling a healthy lifestyle. Operate a sustainable agriculture and industry teaching, teaching business management and marketing skills. The current status is that we're certified transitional. Um, I guess we can't claim to be organic until um, I guess the, the term organic is owned by the USDA. Um, so as of 2015, we'll be considered certified organic. We have one of our fields as it used to be conventionally grown, and now it's, um, it has to wait three years in order for to get its certified um, status. These are the list of veg uh, vegetables that we grow. There, we grow about 100 um, varieties of vegetables. The fruit that we grow is apples, blackberries, cantaloupe, melons, um, peaches, raspberries. So the student employment, um, we have 20 students. During the summer, they would work about 45 hours per week. And, and during the school year, um, they can work up to 20 to 25 hours per week. Uh, half of the students are not in agriculture program. 
Um, the work study program, we have a work study program with a school on, in Russia called Zoksky. So these are the students. Um, they would work, they, they would do two years in Zoksky uh, and, and, and they would transfer here and finish up their degree. Um, so they would work, they're required to work 50 hours and 20 hours as a study program. And I guess the theory is that by the time that they're done with, with their schooling that they wouldn't have any debt at all. So internship programs. Um, so the internship, we have internship programs where um, students who's working in horticulture and who are studying horticulture and agriculture, they would um, pretty much would learn in class, but the, the gardens would give them the opportunity to um, actually apply or what, what they're learning, be able to see it at the gardens. Um, the student gardens is also, it's, it's run by mostly students. It's, um, I'm pretty much the only, I guess, staff, but I'm also considered a student because I'm still pursuing, I'm still in school, if that makes sense. So the markets that we sell to, we have a CSA, uh, community support ag agriculture, farmer's market, we have a mobile farm market, a wholesale to cafeteria, um, a farm to school, and we also have a farm stand. We have an 18-week CSA, um, three types of shares. Uh, we have, it ranges between 350 to $600, and they can add fruits and flowers. Um, this season, we had 15 full shares, 18 half shares, 20 solo shares and 13 flower add-ons and 38 fruit add-ons. Um, we have we survey our members in the middle and the middle of the season at the end. Uh, we've been doing it for three seasons, and it's good to see benchmarks of how we're doing at that time period, and to get feedback so that we can make improvements for uh, the following uh, season. Um, the CSA members are required to pay up front, so it's not like there's there's farm boxes out there where they, they pay on a, I guess, order base or on a weekly base. We require our members to pay the full price, and sometimes that can be um, costly. And we do, I guess, one other unique thing that we do is that we deliver um, the baskets to their homes within a 20 mile uh, radius. Uh, this is the picture on your left is the medium shares. Uh, the picture on your right, it, it's, the, it's a full share. Uh, each week we have a weekly newsletter that we send out. Uh, it's all on our website if you go to augardens.com. Um, Garth Woodruff, who's the director of the gardens, uh, he would write an article and we would post that. And it goes out to about like 200 people in the community. It also has recipes and also how to um, prepare the veggies. So we would pick an a unusual crop. So one week would be like kohlrabi 
and we would give a recipe on how to prepare that. Um, most people in the community don't know like the specialty crops, so it's good that we're introducing to them that crop and, and how to prepare it. Um, internal outreach, meaning how are we reaching to the students in Andrews University. We provide co-curricular activities to uh, learn about sustainable agriculture, health, and gardening. Um, so it, it's what the gardens offer is 10 hours, and out of that 10 hours, we do two hours of, of um, where we sit down and we give them a lecture and an hour of a tour around, um, around our gardens. The gardens, I forgot to tell you this, has, it's, it's spread out through the camp. It's spread out through the community. Um, there's, we, our fields are labeled as neighbor to neighbor, um, which is about 11 acres. And another acreage is, in, we call it Shawnee, which is four miles away. And we also have um, Berman, which is on campus. And then we also have our greenhouses and our peaches. So if you look at, if you were to look, just say that this is the university and the middle was Andrews, we're spread out everywhere. So like we depend on our vehicles to get from one place and that is totally uh, inefficient to go from one place to the other place. Um, the external outreach education program that we have, uh, one example that we did is Pathfinder Day. Um, this year was the Oshkosh year where we had um, where every five years they would have the um, Pathfinder Camporee and there would be like there was about 700 students who 700 Pathfinders who came to Andrews before so they would stop by and then we um, taught an honor class we taught about fl uh, the flower honor um, also we had some volunteers who came by and wanting to know a little bit more about agriculture. So we had them harvest some of like a pallet of apples so that they can get some experience. Uh, the way we outreach to the community is the mobile farm market, which Stephen will talk about. Um, we do community gardens, donation to food pantries, community support sponsored events, health promotion, and Pathfinder days. Um, the challenges that I've seen is, is student scheduling, employment restriction, employment student training, and Adventist community mentality. Um, with, within Andrews is that we have, it's a diverse community, and that there would be people from the community who would just stop by and think that they can just pick whatever they want and then <laughs> go back and then, you know, it's like, oh, they just go, pretty much they would just go to the farm without asking anybody and just take it and, and or they would just bargain with the price which the price was already as low as possible. So like, for example, we're selling a half a bushel of gala apples, right? Um, the market price is $16 and we're selling it for $11. They would bargain with us, forgive us, asking so that it's, they're asking for like $5 a half bushel. I mean, so we get that a lot in, in, Andrews University or in that community so and most of them are Adventists 
and also the workload res responsibilities. Um, currently, I, I do the um, the day-to-day -day operation. So the because I guess the university has really strict restrictions on who they can hire. And if we were to get an employee to work full-time, they could only work for six months. So that was one of the challenges that we had. Um, Steven? All right, thanks, Arthur. Um, yeah, so this summer I had the um, privilege of working with the mobile farmers market. Uh, I was really excited about that, so I just want to tell you a little bit really quickly. Um, to start off, it was um, it all began last December when Arthur got a letter in the mail from the health department um, inviting him to apply for a grant uh, from the state of Michigan uh, for some, some effort to make food more accessible in Berrien County. And uh, so he applied for it uh, as part of this 4x4 plan. Um, Michigan right now is really trying to reduce obesity. It ranks 34th in the country uh, in overall health um, with one of the highest obesity rates in the nation. Uh, something like 31% of adults and 17% of youth qualify as obese. And Berrien County is 61st out of 82 counties in the state. So we're, we're on the, the, the bad end of that. Um, and so they, they're promoting these four healthy behaviors of maintaining a healthy diet, engaging in regular exercise, getting an annual physical, and avoiding uh, all tobacco use. And so the mobile market was one way of sort of uh, promoting especially the healthy diet and in another way the regular exercise one. So it was a part of a partnership with Be Healthy Berrien, which is a coalition of about six or seven community groups. Um, and I really enjoyed that, actually, getting to work with people from the United Way and from um, the health department, from the local hospital system, um, and a number of other groups. And then there were seven locations uh, that we had to pick. And so we did that by looking at census data from the USDA and identifying these um, you see these green, it might be hard to see, but green and orange regions, they are food deserts, uh, which means that they have low income to fresh produce and, um, or well, low income and low access to fresh produce. Um, the, way, the way that is qualified is basically by distance. So, so low income and then low access in urban areas. The green areas mean the majority of houses in these areas are at least a mile from a grocery store in urban areas or 10 miles in rural areas. And uh, so based on that, we found it and we identified seven locations within that area. Um, and then basically we, we had this business model. So the idea is to make, make it as convenient, as low cost, um, and as accessible as possible. And so we, we would drive a van into these neighborhoods at these different locations, and we would um, promote it so people would know when we're coming, come at the same time every week, and uh, then we would sell our produce, and because of our partnership with the state and with the uh, health department, we were able to accept bridge card, which is uh, the equivalent of food stamps, um, and we kept our prices as low as possible, like Arthur was saying, and we also had uh, health cooking demonstrations at the stand while we were there. Um, we used a remodeled FedEx step van. Uh, we took it and we added an air conditioner and put decals on it and uh, insulation. Um, we had to obtain permits. We had to hire interns. We got two interns from the local community um, and then uh, another student worker uh, and, uh, and then promotion. 
So some of the community impact that we saw um, at the end of the at the end of the summer, we took a survey from our customers, and these were just some of the things they said. Um, they were appreciative to have the fruit and vegetable at a nearby location, um, and to have the chance to to get some healthy food. Um, and they really again appreciated uh, that we accepted BridgeCard and had low prices. Um, we got in the news a few times. Uh, there was an article about us in Adventist World, the, the Adventist Review, um, and then also the local newspaper, Herald Palladium. And actually, just this last week, on on Monday, <laughs> just this last Monday, wasn't it? Um, ABC 57, the local TV station, did a, a short little piece on, on what we've been doing. Um, one of the things that really was most gratifying to me and exciting to me was working with the two interns from the community. They were not... Uh, Adventist, and they didn't have a lot of exposure to it. In fact, uh, Benton Harbor is um, a relatively low-income area, and uh, they, there there are a lot of kind of rough living situations here, a lot of um, drug use and things like that. And so we were able to uh, connect with these these two guys and bring them in. And uh, they these are just a couple quotes from from them. One one of them just really appreciated how he was able to relate the mobile market to the community and uh, work together on that. And then uh, the other guy, he said that it helped helped him with his people skills and enabled him to talk to people even though he didn't know really what was going on with them. Um, something that I really appreciated was just the chance to kind of uh, impact them with health also because... Uh, you know, at the beginning, we would, <laughs> at, at, for every lunch break that we had, you know, they'd be asking for Pizza Hut or something like that. And um, uh, by the end, uh, they were a lot more interested in Subway. So, <laughs> um, you know, small steps. Uh, so moving forward, th- we have some opportunities for um, jobs, if anyone out there is looking. Um, my position as coordinator is up for grabs. Uh, we're looking for someone for January, I believe, to start. Um, and really uh, had this program out for next season. Um, and we've also been working again with the county, and we've gotten an- another grant for 43000 And along with that grant, we've gotten some support from Benton Harbor, which is that, that local area that's, that's um, a relatively rough, rough spot in some ways. And we'll be doing actually a modified CSA program with them that uh, I'm really pretty excited about. So... Thank you very much. Arthur can finish us off. These are our, our social media. Here's some students. Um, the guy on the right is one of our uh, interns uh, with, for the mobile farm market. Um, our greenhouses, some of our crops inside of our greenhouse, our tomatoes. Uh, students, they were building the one of a cold frame. Um, that's it. Do you guys have any questions? I it, it is totally optional for students, um, but we do recommend that if they're studying horticulture to to work at the at the um, at the gardens um, throughout the year. And I'm I guess what I'm working at on this winter is to have an internship program where they can plan out for the following season and for them to execute it themselves so that. By the time that they're done, I'm hoping that they're able to um, run a farm by themselves elsewhere. So 
I, I guess I really work with their schedule. So by the time that they're that they're able to work, I work with them, so I can get so because I know more of it because I'm more of a full time worker. But but in the summertime they have more of a free time. So I would pretty much am very flexible. So if they're if they say, hey, I have a schedule between 4 p.m. to 8 p.m. I work with them between 4 and 8. So um, it, it, it is. I mean, it can be intense. I, in summer, work. I work a lot. <laughs> and then during the school year, I still work a lot. So uh, my free time is really minimal, <laughs> Sabbath, <laughs> and the rest of it, and having a rest period. I mean, wish I could get a little bit more, but... It is the situation that we're given, and at times it's you gotta work with the situation that you have. So, yeah. Um, at this point, no, we don't. Um, well, actually, this this winter we're growing things, but we're not marketing it. We're just seeing how it how how it will be, um, because we had some we we bought. We got an, uh, a grant from the NRCS to build up a cold frame. So we are just finishing. So we're, we're going to be growing some plants in there and see how it will turn out with the winter that we have. Um, we have lots of snow. And Michigan is considered one of the states that has uh, uh, most overcasts. So like with the Elliott Coleman books, it wouldn't be as beneficial to us because in Maine, there's more sun. So there's a disadvantage of growing in Michigan. So, yeah. Why do we have cows? Um, that's a good question. I don't work. I mean, I, I manage strictly more in the gardens. So, but the thing is, oh, it, it's the department. You know, with the department, you have entities. Uh-huh. I mean, so I personally, the thing is, it wouldn't make sense at this point to close it down. I mean, with enrollment decreasing, entities like the dairy bring, brings in revenue, so it brings in money, which if they were to close that down or they were to sell it, I don't think it would solve, it, would, it wouldn't solve that problem because um, that's that's the way I look at it. Um, I, I'm I'm more towards you know non-GMO, you know, more organic, more sustainable way of growing um, fruits and vegetables. But with the cows, well, yeah. Again, it's not in my control. I mean, if if I was there, I'd be like, hey, let's close this. But, you know, there's, there's strategic of why things happen. And sometimes it could be, well, the thing is, like, the reason why there is a gardens is because of the, the farm and the dairy. Um, for example, when you look at income-wise, I mean, we, 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 like, our operating income, I mean, our operating, what we put out, or what we, our expenses, just say it's 130000 and just say our revenue would only bring in 70000 So there's that $70,000 gap 
that the farm does cover, the dairy does cover. So, <laughs> at this time, it's not. Um, it it brought in about four thousand dollars in in revenue, and it the operating expense was about with labor and some um, uh, equipment or some packaging that ran to about 12,000. So, but the goal with the grant is that over time, it will be, it can be a standalone. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, most students, because they're studying hortic horticulture, agriculture, you just tell them, okay, we need to get this and this done. And they're just like, okay, they'll get it done. Uh, 70. Wait, sorry, sorry, sorry. 60. Um, most of them are pre-vet. Um, once they're done, they usually go to um, veterinarian school. And they, yeah. It's the, I guess the percentage is 80, 90% do continue on, so, yeah. Well, this, the 20, the 20 is the gardens. The dairy does employ a, a lot more students. Um, they work 24-7. <laughs> I mean, the operation is a 24-7 operation, so there are students who are working at the dairy, and there's also the farm component which encompasses, and it's also up to the individual of the student if they want to be involved in that. Also, if they're interested in internships elsewhere, that's also given to them. Really uh, happy to see what's happening there and appreciate what you guys are doing. May God sustain it and grow it and, and keep it going. Um, we have uh, David Obermiller here from uh, Fresno Adventist Academy. And they've taken a bold step in starting an agricultural program and investing a lot of money to make uh, a program there for their students. And um, David's going to share with us about that. Thank you. Okay, so I'm trying to go through this really fast. And I was really um, sort of brief in what I put on here. I, I wanted to get through this as quickly as I could and then answer as many questions as possible right at the end. Um, so as Darren mentioned, uh, I'm going to skip the title slide here. Well, I titled this The End of Education. I mean that in the sense that we live in the end of time, and there's a goal for education. And that's what I mean by the title there. So as Darren mentioned, I work for Fresno Adventist Academy, and we named our farm Harvest Fields. We are a certified organic farm with uh, CCOF, uh, which is California Certified Organic Farmers. Um, just a brief overview of our farm and the school. Fresno is a uh, K-12 through day school. And uh, it's a 40-acre campus. The farm is using about 12 of those acres. Uh, on the campus or on the farm there, we put up two high tunnels, uh, which you'll forgive me. Some of the pictures here in this, uh, uh, that didn't turn out very good in the lighting here, did it? Can you see it okay? Should we turn off a few more lights? Yeah, maybe somebody can hit the lights there. It shows up really well on the computer. I apologize. Not that great on the screen. Um, some of the pictures are not that great in here because we worked like slaves to get our last high tunnel put together before I left so that they could keep seeding into the high tunnel while I was gone. Uh, so we do have two high tunnels. There's a picture of those two high tunnels. 
Uh, in addition here, uh, now these are just, uh, should I say this? Well, yeah, I'll be brief. A local nursery went out of business, and we purchased these from them uh, fairly cheaply and then worked to put them together. Uh, double layer of poly, uh, inflated, and we closed in the end walls here as it got cooler. Uh, also, uh, put in the back of this tunnel uh, four tables, propagation tables, a little closer picture here. Uh, we made these out of uh, galvanized pipe and redwood. We were water treated. Uh, the irrigation equipment was donated to us by Netafim USA uh, under the condition that we would take some pictures and they would do a story on us later. I really appreciate their contribution, though. Uh, they're on a timer and it just water, waters overhead uh, without going into any of the details there about how we propagate our seedlings and stuff. The second high tunnel, which we just finished, as I mentioned, is entirely growing beds. And uh, just for functionality, we chose a center walkway. Uh, some high tunnels are laid out with multiple walkways and uh, rows that are parallel to the structure itself. But we chose a perpendicular method. It's got easy access all the way down the tunnel. Uh, it's great for pulling down the hose and everything like that. Uh, we grew about 12 acres, excuse me, four acres outside. We'll have a total of eight acres of field crops when we're all said and done. Had some sweet potatoes, uh, strawberries, and forgive me with the lighting here. I did this in twilight. Uh, we finished that high tunnel at about 5.30, and uh, the flash on the camera makes everything look kind of goofy, but uh, underneath plastic mulch, poly mulch, drip tape down the middle uh, with all this stuff here, uh, some artichokes that we put in, and uh, in addition here, we have 40 chickens. We're running our free-range chickens through four acres of navel oranges. We built two portable chicken coops, and the goal was to have our fine feathered little friends do some fertility for us as uh, organic nitrogen is pretty hard to come by unless you're going to use uh, manure of some sort. There's a couple other options on the market too, but we also wanted to sell the eggs and let them do bug control. We have an unreal population of black widows and cockroaches, so uh, the chickens love them. And you know, I'm just going to comment on this real quick here. Uh, animals are wonderful. I, I know a lot of uh, look, I'm a vegan. I don't eat chicken eggs. It's kind of weird, but I love animals. And if you notice in the scripture, when God sent Moses into the desert to straighten out his brain, he put him with sheep. Uh, animals have a powerful impact upon people. There's a lot of research coming out. I was talking to somebody at lunch about the therapy that they're uh, doing with youth and horses. And I think it's a, a really bad mistake to isolate animals from agriculture because Adventists tend to be vegetarian or vegan. Um, I'll throw that out for your contemplation there. Um, so that's kind of rounds out the farm. Two high tunnels, total of 12 acres. Eight of that's in field crops and uh, four of that's in the citrus there. Uh, it's a picture of the farm crew. Obviously, I'm in the picture. Uh, going from left to right, the guy sitting on the tractor joined me first, which, by the way, I've been there since January. And uh, the guy on the tractor uh, joined me in February. Uh, the girl sitting on the front weights there joined us in September. And then the other guy on the wheel uh, joined me in October. He's the only one that has any experience of the other two. And one of the dilemmas, and we were talking about this at lunch too, one of the dilemmas that Adventists face in regard to agriculture is uh, there aren't any farmers. Uh, I, I you know, stand corrected, there aren't many farmers. And... Um, when I wanted to get help, I had a couple of options. 
I could find somebody that knew a little bit about farming. Maybe they weren't converted. Maybe they were. Maybe they knew how to work. Maybe they didn't. Maybe they had preconceived ideas of what farming should be. And you'd have how many unknown challenges to face. Um, so I opted for two people, which all three of these young people have canvassed. Uh, was my one prerequisite. I won't hire anybody who's not canvassed. Farm life is way too tough. And this is my personal philosophy. You know, I'm not expecting everybody to do this. But Ellen White says that canvassing is the best preparation for any other line of ministry. And any young person who can make it through 10 weeks of knocking on doors can make it on a farm. And uh, I, I stand fully behind that. These guys have, have been right there the whole way through. Um, they know how to work. And they don't know anything about farming. The two middle ones don't know anything about farming. But they're spiritual. They're evangelistically minded. And they know how to work. And um, it put a lot of stress on me because they don't know anything. You know, so everything's on me uh, to teach them how to do it, explain it carefully enough, don't assume that they know anything. Uh, it's been one of the, the blessings uh, of hiring them is that they're just open books, but it's been a little bit stressful, to be honest, uh, to know that you're not going to get things done as fast because they simply don't know. But they both want to be farmers. Actually, all three of them want to be farmers and that was an investment that I was willing to make. Adventists need more young, educated, experienced farmers. And the only way, at this point in our church's history, the only way to get that is to dive in. You've got to dive in and make it happen and make the investment in our young people. And I don't know how many of you here have farms, but I would challenge you to make that investment in our young people. Every day somebody's asking for a farm director. We had somebody sitting here at lunch this afternoon asking if there was anybody who could manage a farm on a campus. And the question is, well, where are they at? And we have an obligation, I think, to uh, educate people, young Adventist people, to be farmers. So just, just a brief overview of the farm itself. Uh, our farm's objectives, I gave five objectives here as the farm. Um, number one is to grow high-quality produce. That's strictly a farm objective. I'm particularly interested in nutrition. Anybody who's done any research on nutrition and crops in the U.S. or other Western countries is aware of the fact that nutritional values of produce have uh, plummeted over the course of the last 50 years, of course, in relation to our modern agricultural practices, um, a wide variety of causes for that. But food is today not as nutritious as it was, and that's why you hear the older generation saying that food doesn't taste like it used to because there's a direct relationship between food nutrition and food flavor. Uh, it's the difference between sea salt and table salt. If anybody had sea salt, table salt side by side, um, 98 percent sodium chloride is sea salt, 99.9 percent .9 table salt is sodium chloride. Uh, the difference between the two is two percent minerals of a very wide variety, and that's the flavor difference between the two types of salt as well. So we want to do a quality approach first. Um, other farms may have a production-oriented model, uh, a quantity-oriented model, uh, but we want to grow a quality program. We need quality young people in our church. I mean, everything about Adventism should be quality first, in my opinion. Um, and I'll get back to that here in just a minute, too. Number two for the school is very important to develop a hands-on learning environment. Um, young people need to know how to work, and the school has been willing to make a commitment. It was one of the big motivators on the part of the school board to uh, start a farm is to, to rekindle work ethic in our young people. And uh, everybody that I've talked to in the community, the, the local community, is, is behind that concept. Uh, this is our freshman class. Uh, Fresno Adventist Academy. They are also our first gardening students. Uh, they've uh, gotten outside and gotten dirty already. 
And that's the first of uh, program that we'll continue to do year after year there. Uh, number three is the integration of farming into the school's curricula. Uh, this includes two concepts. Number one is actually teaching farming on the campus as a part of the class. Uh, that previous picture, as I mentioned, these kids are actually taking a farming class or gardening class, we call it. Um, but there's more than that, and that's the integration of practical, real-world skills into every uh, topic of your academic curricula. Um, I think most people who work on a farm realize the value of the education they could have received in high school much more keenly than perhaps people who have more um, of other occupations. Um, you can't farm without knowing math. You can't farm without understanding the weather. You can't farm without understanding some basic chemistry. Or Darren is very mechanically oriented. He does his own welding. Um, you know, all of those skills bring learning into sharper focus. Uh, I, I really resonate with this having gone through public school myself. There was no outlet. There was no uh, light at the end of the tunnel for what you were learning in school. And I was totally disinterested. Uh, the statistics that were shared this morning in the chapel session were very interesting. You notice mostly boys struggle academically with social behavioral issues. And that's because guys are more tactile. Guys don't want to sit in a classroom. Guys don't want to sit there and listen to somebody lecture day in, day out. Boys particularly need to be hands-on. They need to be doing something. They need to be active. And um, boys, I think, particularly struggle with the value of classroom learning when it doesn't have a perceived purpose. And uh, a little bit of resonation there with that. So when I talk about curricula, you know, this is not just about offering a farming class. This is about school-wide intentional um, integration of real-world learning with theoretical classroom learning. Number four is to enhance the opportunities uh, to bring spiritual lessons to the front. I'm going to share some uh, statistics out of Andrews University. Uh, what they are saying <clears throat> is that 50% of our young people will leave the church after they graduate from high school. And this study, I believe, was done through our denominational schools. But for those of you that are familiar with homeschooling and independent ministries, I have seen a lot of homeschool kids and a lot of kids from self-supporting schools wind up just as messed up as anybody else I've ever seen. And we are facing a fundamental problem church-wide on the, the loss, the attrition of youth from the Adventist church. The more staggering statistic is that of the 50% that remain, only half of those are active church members. Let me say this differently. Our success rate with young people is 25%. That's bad. Um, bad doesn't capture truly the, the idea. I'm going to read you this statement from Councils on Education. If there had been manufacturing, agricultural, and manufacturing establishments in connection with our schools, competent teachers employed to educate the youth in different branches of study and labor, devoting a portion of each day to mental improvement and a portion of the day to physical labor, there would be now a more elevated class of youth to come upon the stage of action to have an influence in molding society. The youth who would graduate at such institutions would many of them come forth with stability of character. That's exactly what's missing in that statistic right there. They'd come forth with stability of character, they'd have perseverance, fortitude, courage to surmount obstacles, principles that would not be swerved by wrong influence, however popular. 
the idea of a strictly academic education is, is fatal to the preservation of the soul. And you're seeing that denomination wide in the loss of our young people post-graduation. There should have been experienced teachers to give lessons to young ladies. She goes on with this. I'll actually skip this for the sake of time here. Uh, last one is to reach out to our community. And um, we want to change the reputation that Adventists have in the community. If farming is a perfect way to reach out to the community. And I think a whole lot more could be said about that. But um, I want to share this. And I sat down and I talked to the principal before I left on Monday. Tuesday it was, whatever day. And this statement comes from him and the school board, not from myself. And he wanted me to reiterate, and it's my, my feeling is the same, that Fresno Adventist Academy is making a long-term commitment to the integration of agriculture into overall program of the school, a commitment to work out an agricultural educational model that is financially successful, but also academically and spiritually beneficial to the students and connects the school to the local non-Adventist community. At this point in Adventist history, that will not be accomplished in a year. Uh, the Adventist farmers of older years are gone. And everybody like Darren, myself, Arthur sitting there, are all going to learn it the hard way. There's no model anywhere in Adventism where I can go and I can say, hey, what are you doing and how did you do it? How did you get to where you are? It's not there. It doesn't exist. So for all of us sitting here, it's, it's we dive in and figure out how to make it happen. And that's not going to happen this year. It's not going to happen next year. And the school realizes that, and they're saying, hey, we're all in. The principal, the school board, the conference office, we're all in. And we're going to work it out until this works out. So I'm going to stop there. Give us about 10 minutes of questions. You'll forgive me. My, my kids shared something with me. If you know what I mean. Um, I, I'm willing to be pretty vulnerable. I'm willing to talk about whatever you want to know about, whether that's finances or integrating with student labor. Uh, there are a lot of issues regarding being a conference school, regarding wages, and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so I'll just throw it open. Whatever you want to talk about, I'm willing to be pretty vulnerable and answer whatever I can. It's uh, a fair question. Uh, everything. Um, we inherited a, uh, um, a school that basically had no farming infrastructure, no tractors, um, no cultivated ground. Um, they did have the citrus on the campus, but it had been neglected. You know, no farmer was there to care for it. Um, there was nothing to start with. You know, so starting from scratch and doing everything was way more than I thought. Uh, part of the farmland was uh, inherited former sports fields and the uh, collateral damage to farming from uh, mass quantities of Bermuda grass, uh, which are not farm-friendly grass. Um, dealing with conference wage scales, being a conference school, I'm a conference employee. I'm not, a, I'm not an employee of Fresno Adventist Academy. I'm an employee of the Central California Conference. I was mandated to pay... Uh, according to conference wage scales, which are higher than state minimum wage levels. Um, I can't work 
the state regulated overtime hours of 10 hours a day and 60 hours a week for farm workers. They must pay 40 hours and eight hours a day respectively. Um, the good thing is, is that the conference has been willing to work through those things. Um, and there's lots of things there to work through. I have to pay, you know, go back to the pictures. You'll notice that all of us are young. Uh, those kids are all on retirement and all on medical benefits of a very Cadillac program. The church has a very robust uh, medical insurance program. And um, my medical costs monthly are uh, something close to four grand. So for four people, medical insurance. Yeah. So what we're going to do, um, this is a, a unanimous vote conference school board farm crew is that we're going to separate the farm from the school and form our own 501c3 take about six months to do it but we'll be entirely separated from the conference we can basically do whatever we want we can shop around for our own medical insurance um, i can comply with uh, state laws on overtime and um, i don't have to pay retirement etc so, i mean why would you pay a 20 year old retirement and then give them 10 bucks an hour when state level's nine it just especially when they don't know anything. So who would own it would still be owned by the school or the conference, but there would be a legal separation between the two. Yeah. How would you handle the law? Handle the what? The so, you know, when I gave my presentation originally back in November last year, they knew up front what it would cost. And, and we built the farm of a scale that would justify the inclusion of, of student labor. You got a school with 200 kids in it, 220. And you're not going to get kids involved because you got a half acre garden. And so the farm had to be large enough to justify the inclusion of student labor on the campus. So what that meant was a farm, not a garden. And uh, they knew up front that it was going to take a significant financial interest and investment. Uh, to to get this thing off the ground, and, and they've been willing to do that. We've had some private donors. The tractor we were sitting on was donated by a church member, brand new John Deere. Um, other people have donated their time. Some have donated their money. Um, the school is, has wiggled its own budget and has floated most of our expenses. My expenses are about $14,000 a month right now. Um, I need to do about 140 CSA boxes a week to, to cover our wages. Now, a big part of that is is retirement and medical. So, but, you know, again, go back to this here. If you're not integrating your students, what are you doing it for? It's no purpose. So don't do it. If it's not going to get the students involved, don't do it. We've not done the research yet in regard to what type of insurance we would have, but that's an interesting option, yeah. Any other questions? Yeah. Uh, in the back there, yeah, sorry. Me personally, I was the former director of Souls West, and I was reading about education. And you can't read anything on education without bumping into statements about agriculture. And I said to my wife, I don't know anything about farming. This is a problem. And um, if I don't go into farming, then I'm not going to learn how to farm. So I left denominational work. I'd worked for the church for 10 years. Um, I left denominational work and spent four years on an organic farm. And then this door opened up back in January. I was speaking at a Souls West graduation, and one of the graduates of Fresno Adventist Academy attended Souls. Her dad was there. We had a conversation, and it evolved from there. So um, you had a question here, too. 
Right now, what we did is <clears throat> the farm's not stable enough. We spent, I say this lovingly, the dangers about teaching young people is that they don't know anything and they could do more harm than good. Um, so the reason why we hired four employees is that we could have enough of a student to staff ratio that we could mentor the students on the farm. If it was just me, I couldn't handle them. You know, they just run all over you um, or they'd mess stuff up. And so we went with four employees. That's my core group. From here forward, everything will be student labor. We spent the last nine months just building infrastructure, trying to get the farm stabilized. And over the next couple of years, we'll gradually include the students into the farm program. Is it stable enough to include them? Um, did that answer your question? Yep. You know, we're still working through that. And this is part of the problem with, with where we are as a church, is that nobody knows how to do this. There are all sorts of legal issues. One of those issues is, are you working them or are you teaching them? And so we've taken a teaching first approach, uh, which means you have to develop a curricula. And then once you have a curricula, the students on the farm is actually a part of their learning experience. You're not working them. And I'm fortunate in the state of California, they're a little more friendly to farms on school campuses. Um, but, you know, we had to develop the curricula that justifies the hands-on learning that goes with that curriculum. And then you're not working them and you're free from the collateral issues of students working. Um, what we did in the meantime is we created more like landscaping projects that would still get the students involved outside. And we started with the freshman class. They're the only class that's involved hands-on, uh, academically or hands-on. Um, and we'll continue to do that on a yearly basis. That's another big subject because each teacher of each department has to be bought in. And it's a whole learning curve for everybody. Is that there are no teachers that really know how to integrate practical life situations into the classroom environment. But, you know, I have to work with those teachers, and whether it's a math teacher, science teacher, say, well, if you're teaching this in chemistry, if you're teaching this in biology, or if you're doing this for botany, then I can set you up for this experiment. Or if you want to do something with math, and I can teach you to calculate the volume of water in a pipe so you can flush your irrigation system if you're doing fertigation or whatever. You know, I'm going to have to work pretty closely with the teachers because basically none of us know anything, and what we're doing is just way above our heads. I mean... It's not above God's head, and he's called us to do this. But from a human perspective, this is just, we're just diving in. So, are there any other questions? They're all finished with a, with a quote here. For farming? Zero, I studied theology. Zero, I studied Greek. <laughs> you know, basically, we've had to learn it all the hard way. There, there's just... You know, and, and, and they asked me this. They said, well, do you have a degree in agriculture? I said, well, you tell me what school I'd go to in North America that would prepare me to do what you want me to do, and I'll go there. And they shook his head and said, okay. <laughs> because there is no school in North America where you can go to teach Adventists to do what they should be doing on a school campus. That's our unfortunate reality. Um, I'll share a brief story with you, and I'll read you this quote. Three years ago, Fresno Adventist Academy was... Uh, fraction of an inch from being closed. The um, story is not unlike many other Adventist schools that have been shut down, consolidated, in debt. I don't care if you're a conference school, non-conference school. I don't care if you're a public school. Every school is struggling for money. And uh, the problem with Adventist schools is that it's more expensive and people have stopped attending Adventist schools and so they're going bye-bye. And you can see that all over the country. And Fresno Adventist Academy was right there. 
And I think there was a, a change in the school board, a realization if we don't do something, there will be nothing here. And so this is all providence. Only the Holy Spirit could do this. And honest people who are willing to sit down and look at the books and say, what we've done has not worked. And we need to do what God says to do this time. And so they chose to do that. They hired a new principal, and uh, this guy is, is, is the right man for the job right now. In that context of Adventist schools closing, I'm going to read you this quote. The usefulness learned on the school farm is the very education that is most essential for those who go out as missionaries to many foreign fields. If this training is given with the glory of God in view, great results will be seen. Why have we had bad results in education? No work will be more effectual than that done by those who, having obtained an education in practical life, go forth to mission fields with a message of truth, prepared to instruct as they have been instructed. I must say something before I read the last slide. We are an eschatological people. We believe in prophecy. We believe, I personally believe, that society around us has fallen apart. And you can see it at a ridiculous rate. The next paragraph is a conditional prophecy. And I don't care what happens in the world around us. Unless the next paragraph is fulfilled, we will not go anywhere for a very long time. And she starts, I didn't realize I didn't finish the first paragraph. It was on two slides. The knowledge they've obtained in tilling the soil, in erecting buildings, other lines of manual work in which they carry with them to their field of labor will make them a blessing even in heathen lands. Now, interject the comment that I made just a second ago. The word before. Before we can carry the message of present truth in all its fullness to other countries, we must first break every yoke. We must come into the line of true education, walking in the wisdom of God and not in the wisdom of the world. And leave you with that. God calls you to be a reformer. This is not about finances. It's not about farming. This is about education. It's about the prophetic mission of our church. And she says, before we can carry that message to all the world. And you know what doesn't come if the message isn't carried to the world? If this isn't accomplished, we'll be here a long time. And I challenge you to be a reformer. God's calling for reformers. And uh, we at our school are making a commitment, despite all the pains that we will go through along the way. Uh, failure is not an option. I'm not talking about farming failure. I'm talking about educational, uh, God's educational success is inevitable. That's the backside of that prophecy. If it must be done before he comes, it will be done before he comes. And God's just asking who will do it. And my invitation is for you to participate in that reform. Thank you for your time. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.